HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. All right. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. My name is Kat Johnson, and I'm here with Hannah Forden, my cohort from Heritage Radio Network. Um, Today we're broadcasting live from the Slow Food Nation's Taste Marketplace. We're in downtown Denver, beautiful downtown Denver. The weather's perfect. It's incredible. We're at the corner of uh, Larimer Street and 14th Street. If you're in Denver and you're listening, come down and see us in real life. Um, If you're not here, I hope you're listening to us live at heritageradionetwork.org slash live. Right now, we are joined by Carrie Balcom. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Uh, Carrie is the executive director of the American Grass-Fed Association, which is the national multi-species entity organized to protect and promote grass-fed and pasture-based farmers and ranchers. It is the leader in pasture-based production and the oldest grass-fed certification in the U.S., so, Carrie, yes. tell us about how you came to work with the AGA. I, um, my background is I grew up in rural South Florida on a cattle ranch. Uh, and then I, had a, I was very involved in the food movement through the Chef's Collaborative and other things. And when AGA started in Denver in 2003, I was at the first meeting. And I've been here ever since. And not only are we the only, uh, the oldest certification, we're the only uh, grass-fed certification that's USA only. So our animals are born and raised in the United States. So we, we think that's important for American family farms and farmers. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why that label is important for people when they're shopping and important for them to know that the grass-fed beef is actually raised here in the U.S.? It's important because, again, we're trying to support American family farms and farmers. And without the certification label, um, there's a, we have a thing going on right now called the 10,000-mile meat campaign. And uh, we have a link to it on our website. And we're asking the government to change that loophole where you, product can be brought in from overseas. And once it hits the United States, can be repackaged and then be labeled product of the United States. Um, there are statistics out, one of my cohorts that here, they did DNA testing on a hamburger that they bought in a grocery store, and it had the DNA of a thousand animals in it. Oh my goodness. So wow. we need to know your farmer, know your food, but if you can, and when you go to the grocery store, you should be able to trust the labels. So tell me a little bit about what you're participating in this weekend at Slow Food. I know we saw you yesterday at the summit, and then uh, recap that a bit, and what are you up to the rest of the weekend? 
Well, yesterday was very exciting because we had a thing about supporting rural economies, which is... Which was trying, fabulous, by the way. Thank you. Um, I had my friend Greg Gunthorpe, who won the, the, um, the Snail Blazer Award last night, and then Mike Calicrate, who's a farmer rancher from Colorado Springs, and we did a, a tag team of trying to explain what we're trying to do about keeping family farms and supporting the rural economies. And instead of extracting all the wealth from the rural economies, is putting these families back on the farm so that they can make a living and support their, their local communities and keeping that, that part of our economy alive and functioning. What are some challenges that are facing um, farmers and ranchers that the AGA works with? Well, the first thing is, uh, the thing right now that's critical is, is the labeling. Uh, because 80% of the, the grass-fed that you find in the grocery stores and in retail in the United States is probably from offshore. We don't know exactly, but we're thinking probably 75 to 80%. The other is is that in trying to explain to people that not all animals are grass-fed, they start grass-fed, but then they go to feed yards, and that's not healthy for the soil, that's not healthy for the animal, and that's not healthy for the farmer because it's the only market that they have. We're trying to create alternative markets. Uh, distribution and something we talked about yesterday was processing so that we can get that food to you uh, without a lot of middle, middle people going on. And um, it, for people who can't go to the farm or don't, don't have access to farms, if you live in urban areas, to know that when they do pick up a package of grass-fed, which they want because that it really is grass-fed. Yeah, that was a big issue in the in the conversation yesterday was mislabeling and, and kind of how to how to hold the industry accountable. And I know you you mentioned you've been going to Washington and, and lobbying and doing your best to make sure that everything is labeled. Yeah. If it is from the USA, it is labeled as such. If it is not, then it is yeah. also labeled as such. Um, yeah. What are some of the challenges you face, like trying to fight on that policy level? Because on the grassroots level, it seems like you're doing amazing work, you're here, you're connecting with farmers, but on the policy level, it must be challenging. It's daunting. It, yeah. uh, the, the food system in America, we, we let it get away from, from us. We, yes. we, and it, it, by design, um, and we hope, and it, we, had a, we had policy people in the 60s and 70s, uh, uh, Earl Butts uh, tr um, historically said, get bigger, get out. And we bought into that, that it was better. And then all of a sudden we realized that that's not good for anybody except corporations because that, that's bottom line. So we're trying to undo that very, very systematically. And there's a need for what we're doing. Um, we don't lobby, we advocate. Um, but we, we meet with USDA a lot and we, we work very diligently to make sure that the farmers that we work with and represent are heard. Um, 90% of the farmers that the USDA represents are small family farms. So we think that we have a large voice that needs to have a voice in, in the government, and we don't have that right now. Mm. So we spend a lot of time in Washington, and we pound on a lot of doors. <laughs> um, I think one of the main conversations that's coming up this weekend is around regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if the AGA does any sort of work or um, is representing some farmers who are really striving for that model? Yes. Um, the pasture-based production model um, inherently makes that happen. However, there are steps and, and levels that you can go up so that you're, you're increasing carbon, that you're doing all these other things. Because if you are just putting animals out on pasture, that's okay. But if you're trying to 
restore the soils and you're trying to increase your herd size and you can have more animal carrying capacity and you're increasing your the amount of carbon that you're sequestering and all of those things and healthy soils mean healthy animals which means healthy planet which means healthy community so we work very closely with savory institute we work very closely with holistic management international in fact we're partnering with them with our conference in october and also with quivera which quivera started oh, probably 20 years ago with uh, a group of ranchers and environmentalists who got together and said, okay, we need to start working together. So we work very closely with those people. Uh, none of our animals are fed in feed yards. So regenerating the soils, soils restoring the soils um, is very important to our ranchers and farmers because they live there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not absentee landlords. And it's, I'm not like... It's their backyard. Yeah, I'm not like incredibly familiar with like what a regenerative farm might look like for a rancher specifically, but... What are some like other maybe crops or animals that would be on a on a ranch for someone who's raising grass-fed beef? Well, let's just take we have we have people who are um, there's Greg Gunthorpe who's here and uh, he has pastured pork, he has chickens, he has turkeys, and he has ducks, and so he rotates everything through, and so when something starts finishes here that he puts something else on the pasture and then and so um, and then different they eat different bugs they do different things with the soils um, this is happening all over the country you take Hearst Ranch who's working on the same thing mm-hmm. um, they're a large mass of land but with what they're doing with trying to do restorative work on on Hearst uh, you've got Tomcat in California you've got uh, Will Harris in White Oak Pastures who's if you he's got a he's got a great little movie out it's called 100,000 Beating Hearts so it's not being monoculture in any respect is what we're doing. So you have the, you have the, the, the large animals, the ruminants, you have the, and then you have the, 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 um, the small animals, and then you have organic, uh, what am I trying to say, um, crops. And all of that feeds into the system. So it's the same concept as rotating crops that we like kind of all learned in uh, maybe elementary school, but it's the same thing with animals. And maybe people don't recognize that you can farm animals in a very similar fashion as you can crops. Yes. Yeah. So what are some other ways that you work with individual farmers like Will Harris or Greg Gunthorpe? Well, we, uh, we spend a lot of time with them because they're our, our spokespeople. And we send them out to people who want... Let me just take, for example, my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather are, were doing restorative farming, regenerative farming, but they didn't call it that. So there are a lot of farmers who are doing the right thing, but there's little small nuances that they can change. And they can stop this practice, which makes this practice better. It's a stepping step situation that works out. Um, we work, we're working right now on setting up a series of webinars for homeopathic and naturopathic medicines. And we're hoping to get that off the ground here shortly. Uh, we work with them very closely on trying to get their labeling done. Uh, we work with them very close to try and help them find markets. Um, some of these farmers are very small, and we try and get them to aggregate so they have enough supply to feed into a supply chain and a distri- distribution system. There are the farmers that just want to sell off-farm, and that's great, and that's, that's wonderful. But for somebody who wants to sell to a, far- a food co-op or to a small grocery store chain or whatever, you need larger numbers of animals to make that happen. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so you're also going to be participating in part of the, sh- the Chef Summit tonight. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what kind of talk are you going to be doing tonight? Is it similar to what you did yesterday? 
Pretty much. Um, I taught culinary for about 10 years here in Denver, and so listening to the, the, the chefs are such an important part of what we do because they have such an amazing voice. And we have people like Rick Bayless, and you have people all over the country and some of the local chefs like Daniel Asher and those people who are buying from local farms and farmers. And when they go into a restaurant, they put a farmer's name or they, they, they do a taste thing. Uh, and a lot of people, when they taste grass-fed for the some, first time, they'll say, oh, it tastes different. You go, thank you, you noticed. <laughs> so that's important. And they know how to take the, the product and turn it into something that's good for the, for the palate. And they take whole animals. So you'll see a lot of those places where they don't have just ribeye on them, on them or pork. They'll have pork or beef. So they take the whole animal and they use different things in different parts. And let's see, what else are we doing? Uh, we're working on the 10,000 mile meat campaign on the labeling. We're working on cool. We're working, <laughs> you, you name it. I've got a bag full of stuff I'm going to hand out later. <laughs> <laughs> and then yesterday we did a thing about slow meat. And I don't know if you saw that. But, no, I did not see okay, that Okay, well, slow meat started in Denver probably 15 or 17 years ago. Matt Jones and a few of us got together and said slow had never talked about meat before. Mm. And lovely Matt Jones, who was the head of Slow here in Denver for a while, said, let's start talking about meat. And we did, and we had the first one was called Westward Slow, Turning the Herd. And that morphed into Slow Meat. And yesterday we talked about bringing all of the the humane treatment of animals, uh, pastured animals, how we can make that more, the consumer more aware of that. So where can folks learn more about the American Grass-Fed Association and the work that you're doing directly with farmers and to advocate on, on their behalf? Well, of course, we have social media. And we have a, we have a great website that we're, we're working on revamping as we speak. Um, you can sign up for our e-alerts and as a consumer, which is great. And there's no cost. You sign up and then we send you stuff, not more than about once a month or once a week, unless we have something really important, like the 10,000 mile meat campaign that we're working on right now that we'd like for we'd get, like to get as many signatures as possible. And it's just a little click and you, you say, I support this. And uh, it's all right there. But it, that's the best way to do it. And if you want to go to farms and if you want to learn, then we can put you in touch with farmers who actually will let you come onto the farm. Because some farms aren't really set up, they're families, and they're not really set up to have tourists or visitors. But for those, we, we know which farms you can visit. Great. And another question that just popped into my head is the 10,000 mile meat campaign and um, the other advocacy work you're doing, does any of that tie in directly to the farm bill that's happening right now? Yeah. There's a, the farm bill is this huge thing, and, and um, yeah, it, but the, the farm bill, that's legislative. Mm-hmm. The 10,000-mile meat campaign is policy. Mm-hmm. So policy is easy, easier than legislative. So we're working very diligently with the USDA to, we don't want, we don't want their, a share of their pie. We'd like to have our own pie. Mm-hmm. So we're working to try and, a one-size-fits-all doesn't work anymore for agriculture. And we're trying to make that distinction for our farmers. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And if it doesn't make sense for anyone out there, you can go learn more at the American Grassfed Association <laughs> website. Well, I, I have learned over the years that we all speak different languages. That's one thing we found in Slow Meat yesterday, that we, we need to work on the language. Mm. And we talk about restorative uh, agriculture, where we're restoring the lands to take them so that they can self-support themselves. And, you know, with animals on pasture and what that means and why that's important and all those things. And chefs, of course, speak a completely different language. Yeah. Right. I think that's why 
you know, Slow Food Nations is important because we yeah. have conversations where there is overlap. Yep. And I mean, like the, the session yesterday, there were farmers, there were distributors, there were, you know, restaurant owners and, you know, activists. And so everyone brought something different to the conversation and it, yeah. it helps to find the common language. Yeah, it's amazing to me from the first one how this has morphed into something that's really amazing and sometimes overwhelming for us who are you know, like, where do I go next? <laughs> so I'm glad that I get to sit with you guys for a little while. Oh, so are yeah. we. In the shade. So you were here last year at the Slow Food Nations. Oh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, what, what did you love about last year that you, that you were looking forward to this year? Well, let's... I, I enjoyed all of it. It seems a little more cohesive this year. Yeah. It, it, things are a little more... I mean, every year that you do something like this with it, with this this huge of a crowd, it's hard to control. Uh, Krista Roberts and the group from Slow Food Denver have done an amazing job of bringing this thing together. Yeah. And um, Thursday night, uh, Slow does a thing at Denver Botanic Gardens, and I do their food for the, the lecture series. And I, she said, can you do it the night before Slow? And I said, well, of course. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna keep doing the, the the work with all these people are coming to town. And it's important for you to be somewhere else and do something else. So yes. I think every year it gets better. Yeah, and it's this year is great. The weather's great. I definitely we're we're so happy to have this uh, awesome tent set up. Last year there were you know panels happening all over the city, so I was running from one place to the next with my recorder. Yeah. And I really love that everyone gets to come hang out with us at yeah. our tent this year. Yeah, and I'm thrilled it's that my friend Brian Kenny's sitting there somewhere in the background listening to me. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. <laughs> we miss you. Wish we were wish here. you. <laughs> well, Make sure you have to be here, Brian. Yes, we're going to yes. work We're gonna work on that for okay. sure. Um, but, Carrie, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. You're quite welcome. I am so thrilled to, to have this opportunity. And I'm sorry that Will can't be here, but he, he has a great... I, I'm sure if I can talk about that for just a moment. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Will please. has this really neat concept that's opening up. There's a, a solar farm that's opening up near where he is, his farm is. And he's working on having a, making a deal with the guy that's building the solar farm to graze under the solar. So not only are they going to have um, renewable energy, but they're going to have restorative energy. And they're going to redo the soils, and the animals will come in and graze underneath. And it's it's a win-win. It's so such a cool idea. He We were emailing with you and him to, to do this interview, and... It came up last minute, and obviously an opportunity that you can't pass up. Yeah, and yeah. I can, I just can envision these sol- giant solar panels in the middle of South Georgia with sheep grazing underneath them. And I love the term regener- regenerative energy. Yeah, restorative energy. Restorative energy. That's yeah, so cool. So we we will at Heritage also keep in touch with what Will's doing and okay. bring more on that. Well, we're we're really excited because a lot of communities have taken goats or sheep, and they've they've they they're. Um, uh, grazing right-of-ways and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this is huge. Mm-hmm. This is this is a... And Will is... Will's, Will's one of the trendsetters. And he made a commitment in 1995 to do this. And he called me and he said, I'm going to do this. And we went... And you take, a, you take a big hit when you do that, especially in South Georgia where he is. But he's got a beautiful farm. He's got a beautiful family. His daughters have come back with their spouses to run the farm and to be part of the farm and he's got great people and if you have the opportunity to go down there he's got agritourism on the farm mm. he's got cabins he's got everything so it's really important and if you happen to email Will please know that he's not yelling at you with all caps <laughs> that's it's just so Will <laughs> it's so true every email is all caps and it's like it takes an adjustment but it's Will <laughs> it's, it's okay it's okay <laughs> he's not yelling at you he's just that's the way Will types <laughs> that's how he types yeah um, alright well we're gonna wrap things up with Carrie Balkum 
um, from the American Grass-Fed Association. And once again, I want to thank our sponsors that made it possible for us to be here at Slow Food Nations, Hearst Ranch Beef, the Julia Child Foundation, and our friend Julia Schaefer. And we will be back in just... Julie Schaefer. Hey, Shout Julie. out to Julie. Yay. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.